0: Mark chapter number 13. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said, They saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answering and said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple... Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles, and these are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils and to the synagogues, ye shall be, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations." But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down to the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again, for to take up his garment." But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in, those days shall, for in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days." And then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe them. Believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to deduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in the heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors." Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is, a, is as a man taking a far journey. Who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock-crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Title of this morning's message watch, just one word, watch, and I would suggest putting an exclamation behind that, an exclamation point behind that word, watch. Let's pray, and then we'll get started here. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for this passage of scripture, and we ask that your spirit would illumine our hearts this morning. We want nothing short of a work of the spirit, We want nothing less than that, nothing more than that. We want you to have your perfect work in each heart and life here. So, Father, lead us in a very plain path. We are such foolish little children and get so easily distracted and off the course. So take us where we need to go. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were to preach this morning's message in the average church in America, or in the average group gathering of Christians, I'm afraid that this message would offend, irritate, or disgust a large number of the people who are listening. I hope that will not be the case here this morning, because it is not my intention to irritate, offend, or disgust you. When you read a passage of scripture dealing with the last days, especially in the current situation that we find ourselves in in the country, people expect certain things. They expect you to take this opportunity to criticize the government. They t- expect you to take the opportunity to, to lamb the stupidity or the evil of the powers that be. And they expect you to make prophetic predictions or try to connect the dots between current events and scripture. If you do not do those things after having read a passage of scripture like this, some will roll their eyes in irritation, like you missed your opportunity. Some will throw up their hands in disgust. And others will just be plain offended. Once again, I hope that will not be the case here this morning. The fact of the matter is, I'm not saying that those reactions are not warranted or maybe even deserved. And there may may be a time and a place for statements and applications of that sort. But that isn't the point of this message. The reality of the situation is I'm a very practical man. I do not try, as David said, I try not to meddle in matters that are too high for me. I approach almost every situation in life with this question. What do I need to do here? What is my responsibility here? If it doesn't apply to me, if there's nothing for me to do in it, I try not to get involved in things which I have no control or I have no action that's needed from me. Over the years, I have found that prophecy, the people who are really f- fond of prophecy, f- there's, tre- there's three traps that people fall into when they're dealing with prophecy. Number one, they often get lost in the details of the last days. They often get lost in the, ver- the details of the last days. It's a very easy thing to do. They read the headlines in the newspaper and they try to fit them into the prophecies of the scripture. No doubt, many of the headlines of our newspaper today seem to fit the prophecies of scripture without much imagination. At least at the time they do. But I can name in the last 20 years, at least three people, specific people, whom God's people, many of God's people, were absolutely convinced that that person was the Antichrist. Now, at the time, it seemed like all the pieces of the puzzle fit. And I'm guessing at this moment that at least those three names are coming to your mind. And if I asked you today, do you believe that that person is the Antichrist, you'd say, I don't think so, I think that boat sailed. In fact, some of those people are dead already, okay? So they were not the Antichrist. But you have heard that bandied around, and many of God's people at the time thought that the puzzle piece fit just perfect. What that means is that all of the thinking and all of the predictions at that time were wrong. It's very tempting to look at our current circumstances and fit them into the end times puzzle. We must be very careful about doing that. Sure, at this moment, they do seem to fit. But you know, whenever I'm tempted to do that, I always think about some Christian who was sitting in a World War II concentration camp with the Germans. And I'm guessing that at that moment, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle sure seemed to fit together, did they not, to that guy? A lot of the probably better then than they do now, he could have said, boy, I think we've got this thing right under control, we're right here at the gate. And we know now that, okay, that would not have been accurate. It seemed to fit hand in glove. It's a trap when we try to uh, figure out all of these, the, the details of the end times. The second trap that people fall into prophecy is they often get lost in time predictions. They often get lost in time predictions. How much time has been wasted trying to predict the events and the order of events of the last days is something that only the Lord knows. But the number of hours would be staggering. In just the last 20 years, how many dates have been proposed as D-Day for the rapture? Just in our short span of life. We can say, well, that guy predicted it, and those people predicted it, and this guy predicted it, and this is the date that was set, and this is the year that was set. The fact of the matter is, when I was a teenager, I was quite convinced by the the teachings of the time, and the, the preaching, and the positions that people were taking at the time, that I would never actually get married. That the Lord's return was so imminent at that moment that I would not have a chance to go off to college and graduate from college and be married. I did not think that would take place because of the teaching and the preaching on the end times and the time predictions that were ma- being taking place. And here I am, 30 years later, almost all of my kids are married or out of college, okay? And so what I thought could have been taken place was supposed to end 30 years ago has still not happened, and still time predictions are being made. Number three trap that people fall into in prophecy. They get lost in the mysteries of prophecy. They get lost in the mysteries. Even a quick reading of prophetic scripture will show that the information given is in a mysterious form. We are looking, as the Bible says, through a glass darkly. It's done so that we cannot get too clear a picture of the exact events. The interpretations of the statements of prophecy can vary so greatly that they're not even in the same ballpark. Two guys will make predictions on the same piece of information, but it's so unclear to us that they're not even in the same realm. My friend, God doesn't have any trouble speaking plainly. When God wants to speak plainly, He speaks plainly. He chose to put a veil over most of the details of the last day. Yet men will take these mysteries, they will draw their own conclusions, and then they will fight tooth and nail over with men who've made different conclusions. They spend their lives trying to prove and defend their conclusions by the rest of the scripture. If we try to draw a clear picture of what God intentionally gave as a mystery, we are falling into a trap. Our message does not lie in that direction this morning. We will skirt around all of those traps and seek a practical thought through this passage of scripture. Be very straightforward this morning, easy to understand. Number 1 The Lord is coming back. Can we get more simple than that? The Lord is coming back. You need not turn there. It's a familiar passage of scripture, but let me read it to you. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And we had spoken these things, while they beheld he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. My friend, the Lord is coming back. Verse number 31 says, heaven and earth, of our passage thirteen thirty-one. heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. When you woke up this morning, were you surprised that when you slid out of bed that your feet actually hit the floor and that the floor was actually there? Was that a shock to you? When you got up this morning and you looked out the window, Was it a big shock that the sun was rising? No, you expected both. You counted on both. And if the sun was not up when you got up, you knew that it was only a matter of time. You can mark it down. You can underline it. You can circle it in red. The Lord is coming back. There's no question on that point more sure than the sun will rise in, tomorrow morning, more sure than the earth will be there to walk on, Christ is coming back. It doesn't matter how many foolish men have made predictions about the times and, the, and the, of all through the centuries, and they will prove false, that they had the wrong time. None of that matters. Christ is come, coming back. But you know what's weird? For some reason we always focus on the last three words of that phrase. Christ is coming back. We focus on the event and not the person. Do you realize who is coming back? This is the important part of this statement, right? Christ is coming back. It is the who not the win or the event. It is Christ is coming back. Christ, our Lord and Master. Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus Christ, the fairest of ten thousands. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the one who loved you enough to leave heaven and take on flesh and die in your place, is coming back to get you. The bridegroom returneth. For those of us who know and love him, how could that possibly be a fearful, unsettling thing? We focus on the event and not the person. My friends, Christ is coming back if we lose sight of the fact and focus on the event rather than the person we'll find ourselves struggling but there is no struggle when we focus on the person of our blessed lord first thing christ is coming back point number two i have been given work to do I have been given work to do. When I originally wrote that point, I wrote, I have work to do. But that statement leaves a loophole. That loophole needed to be closed. You know, many Christians today, in fact, we almost might say all Christians today are busy. Their lives are so full that they run from one event to another. If they end up finding that they have a 10-minute window in their life, they find 11 minutes worth of work to stuff into that window. Life is busy. And in the busyness, we take comfort that we are using life wisely. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. You know what? Life is full of things that are not necessarily evil. Things that are enjoyable. Things that are even profitable. Things that are even expected of us by others. But that does not mean that we are supposed to do them. When they were looking for the Lord Jesus as a young boy, you remember the family expected him to be in the company. They were traveling back home and the family expected him to be with them. After several days, they figure out he's not here, and so they go out searching for him. Now, to be with your family was not a bad thing. To be traveling home is something that would be, you'd say, well, that's something necessary. To be doing this and do what the other people were expecting, you'd say, that's reasonable. And what did the Lord Jesus say when they found him? Didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? Just doing what everybody else expected, just being busy, isn't the answer here, my friend. Just because we have work that we have called ourselves to do isn't the answer. We have been given work to do. That is the point. We have been given work to do. Look at verse number 34. For the Son of Man is is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. To every man his work. So what work have you been given? We'll look at verse number 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing in the morning. Verse number 36, lest you coming suddenly, find he find you sleeping. Don't forget to watch is what he's saying. Verse number 37, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. What are you supposed to be doing? Well, it follows, watch, 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 watch. Now, I hope that none of you are so foolish that this, means that your job that you have been called to do, the work that you've been given to do, is to sell everything that you own and go sit on a mountain someplace, waiting and watching for the Lord to return. This has been done by others. I hope you would not be so foolish as to do that. The inference here is that their work that the Lord has called them to do in his absence, is his preparation for his return. Let me say that, I didn't say that very clearly. What's inferred here is they have work that's been given to them to prepare for the return of the Lord. That's the inference here. You have work to be done, and that work is to be done in preparation of the Lord, the preparation of the Lord's return. You have been given work to do. All of that work, if the, the, what the passage tells us, is done under the authority of the Lord. It is work that has been given to you in eye of his return. It's that simple. You have been given work to do. It is not exactly the same as my work or the person sitting in front of you or behind you. You have been given a task specifically assigned to you. Nobody else is going to do it. Hear my words. Nobody else is going to do it. Everybody else has their own work to do. If, you're left, if your task is not done, it is left undone. You have a specific job given to you. If you shirk it, it gets shirked. Everybody else has their own work to do. You say, well, I'm supposed to be preparing for the Lord's return. But... Cannot you see, Vanderhart? I hear this all the time. Cannot you see the evil that is surrounding us? Cannot you see what's happening in the country? Cannot you see that? What are we supposed to do about that? What is supposed to be our response? What is our obligation? You know, this passage lists two responsibilities to us. Look at verse number 9 and 10. But take heed to yourselves. That's another way of saying watch. Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. We are to take heed to ourselves. In other words, Not only are we supposed to be watching for the Lord so that we do not get distracted from him, but we are to watch ourselves, to not get distracted from what we have been called to do. And what is the work that we've been called to do where the world is concerned? Are we supposed to take heed of the world so that we can complain about them? Isn't there an awful lot of that going on? <laughs> Get into a conversation with anybody these days. With anybody. And what comes up? Criticism after criticism. Can have you heard how stupid these people are? Have you heard what they just did? Can you imagine what's going on here? All it's complaint after complaint of complaint criticism cl- okay Are we supposed to take heed so we can condemn and criticize them? Lots of that going on. But you say, they're evil and they're doing stupid things. True. What does the passage say? Take heed for yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. For a... Testimony against them. As far as evil is concerned, you are supposed to be a testimony. You're supposed to stand as a testimony against them. Now what exactly does that mean? What does it mean? You're supposed to be a testimony against these people who are hauling you off and killing you. All right, well, let's boil this down. We know that evil is evil, right? We know that the world is worldly. Is merely pointing that out, the work that we have been given to do. Hey, you evil people, you're evil. Hey, world, you're worldly. Let's compare some scripture here. When the Lord, they brought before the Lord the woman taken in adultery. Okay, we can all say that was wicked. She was involved in wickedness, and there was no debate on this issue. What did the Lord say to them? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone when it talked about finding a splinter in your brother's eye, what did it say about, what did he say about that? Make sure that you get the beam out of your own eye before you start complaining about somebody else's faults, is what he said. Our forefathers had a saying. They said, That is the pot calling the kettle black. That is the pot calling the kettle black. Sure, the world is being worldly. Sure, evil is being evil. It doesn't really take a rocket scientist to point that out, does it? What else do you expect from the world but worldliness? What else do you expect from evil? Fifteen years ago, the teenagers would have said about those statements, thank you, Captain Obvious. Do you remember that? How many remember the, the teenager saying that? It's about 15 years ago. That's probably when you were a teenager. Thank you, Captain Obvious. That's no testimony against them. For you to point out the evil that the evil are doing, not when we stand there black as coal ourselves. We yell at them for violating scripture, while we are violating it as well. Oh yeah, we're not violating the same scriptures that they are. We have our own pet violations, and they're violating the ones that we want kept. It is the pot calling the kettle black. Our job is not to stamp out evil, it is to stand as a testimony against it. Our lives are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And when the world sees the image of Jesus Christ being shown from us, do you know what they're going to say? You're such a nice fellow. We think we ought to treat you well. They're going to say exactly what they said about the Lord Jesus, and that was crucify him, crucify him. That's what they're going to say. And our job is not to stamp out evil, but to stand as a testimony against them. And the way to do that is to allow ourselves to be crucified to self and let Christ live within. The work that we have been given to do against evil is to stand as a testimony We had best stop complaining and start conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is what we have been given to do with evil in our day. Quit complaining and let ourselves be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, they're not going to like it. We are to stand as a testimony. Against them. But crucify him, crucify him is not the only reaction. This is only the reaction from evil. Look at verse number 10. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Our work, where the world is concerned, is to spread the gospel. We are to spread the gospel in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our states, in our countries, and around the world. If we look at these flags here, you realize these flags are our attempt to do that worldwide. These flags are our attempt to get the gospel into all areas of the world. And so we have involvement as much as we possibly can more is on the way we trust. We're trying to get the gospel to every land so that people who have not heard of Christ can hear of him. That's what we're doing. This does not absolve us of our own section of the world, by the way. Just because you give to faith promise and just because you support missions around the world does it not absolve you of spreading the gospel in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your city, your state, and this country. We have our own work to do. We hire and try to promote everybody else's work around the world at the same time. Our conforming to Christ so that he might live again through us will be the way that our work of spreading the gospel will be accomplished. It is conforming to the image of Christ That causes that to happen as he is allowed to live his life through us. Point number one, the Lord is coming back. Point number two, I've been given work to do. If I lose sight of the Lord, I will struggle in both of these areas. Point number three, I don't know how much time that I have, so I must be diligent. I do not know how much time that I have, so I must be diligent. You know, I don't really know how the scripture could be much clearer. Look at verse number 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Nobody knows. Verse number 33. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. You don't know. Verse number 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or the cock crowing or in the morning. You don't know. The Lord is coming. That is sure. But when it will happen is unknown. You know this is done specifically on purpose. Because we have two tendencies. Our first tendency is to procrastinate. How many of you here are procrastinators? Why do today what can be put off till tomorrow? That's your life motto. If I don't have to do it today, we'll just roll that back to tomorrow. If we knew the Lord wasn't coming, if we knew exactly when that date was, we would be tempted to do exactly that with his work. Why would we do that? We got some time coming here. We could do that later on, a little more convenient time. That is one of our tendencies, is procrastinate. If we knew the day, we'd procrastinate. The other tendency is to become goal-oriented. When we have a task, we immerse ourselves in it. I fall into this category. I have a trick that I use on myself when I have an unpleasant task to do. I break the task down into... What I figure about ten minutes. That's Vanderhart time. So that's not very good at this, but about ten minutes. Okay, I tr- this it should take me ten minutes to get this job done, and then I set my timer. I set my clock. I got a timer on my phone, and so ten minutes, and I hit that button, and away I fly. And now it is about getting the job done. Okay, before that timer goes off. Rarely does that happen, but. It's ringing, and it's irritating, and you swing a lot faster. You do a lot faster when that thing is ringing, and you're I'm, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. Everybody understand? Well, some of you won't understand. That The procrastinators say, why would you do that? <laughs> the rest of you say, how many say I understand exactly where you're at here? Okay. Differences in personality. It's an effective way to get through unpleasant tasks. But if we knew that the Lord was going to return, half would procrastinate. The other half would have a race against the clock. We would quit focusing on the Lord and we would focus entirely on the task. We would race the clock and lose our first love. We would focus all of our attention on the task instead of the Lord. I do not know how much time I have. I may only have one minute or I may exit this mortal sphere in death. So I must be diligent. I must work in the moment that I have right now, for it may be the only moment that I have. If I let myself get distracted from the Lord, I will struggle to be diligent. My friend, the Lord is coming back. I have been given work to do. I do not know how much time that I have left, so I must be diligent. And number four, I must not get distracted or unnerved by the events around me. I must not allow myself to get distracted or unnerved by the events around me. Now, don't tell me this isn't a struggle these days. I do not know when I've seen more Christians who seem like they're about to blow a gasket than at this moment. The events around us s- seem to be unnerving us. But look verse, verse number seven. Try to envision this in your mind, what's taking place here as we read. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles, and all these are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils and the synagogues, and you shall be beaten, and I shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. You see what it says what does it say our response is to be? Verse number seven. Be ye not troubled. Why? Are they not troubling events? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, getting hauled off to to jail. For such things must needs be. Now what does that mean? It means that Before the Lord can return, these things have to be happening. You know what we're like? We're like little children who are waiting for their grandfather, the much-loved grandfather, to return, to come to their house via an airplane. And so they're waiting, they're anticipating the return of their grandfather, the coming of their grandfather. And they hear the roar of the airplane engine overhead and it scares them and they start crying and they want that sound to go away. Not realizing that it is that noise that is bringing that one they're anxious to see. Do you not realize that the things that we are like, no, must be? It is bringing our Savior that much closer, why would that unnerve us? Why would we let that affect us? We ought to be saying, hey, it's getting close now. It should not unnerve us. He says, why would you get trouble about these things? They have to be before I come and I'm coming. Do not let yourselves get unnerved or distracted. You know, distracting is an old trick of the devil. He's like the sleight-of-hand artist back in the carnival days. What do they do? They get you distracted with his hand, and meanwhile, they steal your wallet with the other hand. This is exactly what the devil does to us. He gets us distracted with his one hand while he gets us to quit doing what God has given us to do with the other we cease to accomplish the work for which we were given. And verse number 35 to 37 warns us of that. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. If we allow ourselves to lose sight of the Lord, we will struggle to remain calm, And on task. But my friend, the Lord is coming back. I've been given work to do. I don't know how much time I have left, so I better be diligent. Number four, I must not allow myself to get distracted or unnerved by the events around me. And number five, lastly, as we're out of here, if the Lord were coming today, it should not alter my plans at all. That ought to ring like a hammer on an anvil. If the Lord were coming today, it should not alter my plans at all. If I am living every moment like it could be my last, why should the knowledge of the exact time of the Lord and his return alter my plans for the day? Think of it this way. Suppose you work for a large firm. And you hear that the big boss from out of state, the big boss over the whole company, is coming to your your town, to your office, to do an inspection. And so your manager over your office says, hey, this is what we've got to get done before the big boss comes. And so they give you a workload. And you look at that workload, and the big boss is coming in in just a couple of days, and they give you your workload, and you're like, whoa, this is a lot. And so you tear into it, you diligently work, and you work, and you work, and you tackle this project, and on the day that the the big boss is supposed to come, he's supposed to show up at three, on that day in the morning, you realize, we're gonna make it here. I'm gonna be done with my work by noon, before the big boss gets here. I'm gonna be done with my work at noon. So at 9.15, you take your regularly scheduled break. And you're sitting in the break room for a few minutes drinking your cup of coffee, and the big boss walks in, and you're sitting on break. Do you start, do you start apologizing for being on break? Do you start running for your office trying to, to quick make it look like you're busy? The only people who do that are the people who were slacking beforehand. If you have been diligent about your business, sitting on your regularly scheduled break is not an issue. Right? It is the slackers who say, I have got to make it look busy. It is a deception. And if you knew that God was going to come back, if the Lord was going to return today, and it altered your schedule whatsoever, you are a deceiver. Do you understand that? We are to be diligent now. We cannot try to change things just to make it look good at the last minute. The Lord is coming back. You have been given work to do. I do not know how much time I have, so I must be diligent I must not allow myself to get distracted or unnerved by the events around me. And if the Lord were coming today, it should not alter my plans whatsoever because I am obeying the command that he gave. And that command is, watch. Are you obeying that command?